0: Break, break, breakthrough,
1: breakthrough, 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 breakthrough. breakthrough. You are now listening to Breakthrough News. Service industry employers and Republican lawmakers are ringing the alarm about a worker shortage. What are the facts and what is the fiction? Every day, workers across the globe are rising up to defend their humanity and fight for their dignity on the job. In a time of both record poverty and record profiteering, the billionaire bosses have created the very circumstances for workers to lose their fear and demand everything that they deserve. As the class struggle advances, the stories of workers are front and center here. This is On the Picket Line, and I'm your host, Monica Cruz.
0: So, we had a workforce shortage going into the pandemic. We actually had more open jobs than we had unemployed individuals. And now the pandemic and our policy response to it has compounded the problem. We are paying one in four workers more on unemployment than they earned when they were actually working. So, there are a couple things that we can do. We can cut off uh, the enhanced benefits. That's a move that some states are making. We can entice people back into the workforce through uh, employment or return to work bonuses. We're even seeing Democrats states like Connecticut and Colorado heading down that path.
1: You just heard Neil Bradley, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce chief policy officer, discuss the causes of the quote-unquote labor shortage that conservative politicos, Republican lawmakers, and business leaders have been in an uproar about over the past few months. First off, let me just say this. This is what they always do when there's mass unemployment. They find some way to blame the workers themselves for not having jobs. In the wake of the Great Recession, the claim was that unemployment remained high, at 10% officially, because workers didn't have the necessary skills for the kinds of jobs that were available. Later, unemployment went down to 3.5% as the economy picked up. How did this happen? There were no major programs to expand skills for unemployed workers from the government, nor the largest private sector employers. Did hundreds of thousands of workers get hit with a sudden dose of pure luck and suddenly find the skills they needed for particular jobs? No, definitely not. See, the problem was not that there were too few skilled workers. The problem was that there was not enough demand for goods and services, which meant not enough demand for workers. This was a crisis of overproduction and a crisis of technology rapidly displacing workers, not a labor supply problem. Which brings us to today. We're seeing the same problem, but for different reasons. The U.S. still has only regained about two out of three of the 22 million jobs lost during the pandemic, meaning we're still about 7.5 million jobs short of where we were before COVID. COVID. If we look at the most recent jobs report, which was released last week, about 559,000 jobs were added in May. Wages are slowly rising. The jobs report found that the hourly earnings for non-managerial workers were 1.3% higher in May than two months earlier. So a big emphasis on that phrase, slowly rising, but important to note nonetheless. And while we haven't seen any semblance of a mass labor shortage, we do see employers being forced to compete for workers. This issue has struck the leisure and hospitality sector particularly. Wages for workers in places like restaurants, bars, and hotels fell dramatically back during the Great Recession, but have risen back up to the point they'd be at if there were no pandemic. Food industry owners are now ringing the alarm the loudest about this supposed worker shortage. This, coupled with growing demands for a livable minimum wage for fast food and restaurant workers, has pushed industry giants like Chipotle to raise their starting hourly wages. Chain restaurants like Jimmy John's are now offering sign-on bonuses for new employees. People are seeing signs for $16 an hour at McDonald's, and it seems like things have really shifted, as if these companies might really be struggling to find people. But before we cry any tears for poor old McDonald's, let's take a step back. Before the pandemic, the food and restaurant industry was already experiencing the highest turnover rates and some of the lowest hourly rates compared to other sectors. So these wage hikes were long overdue. It's just that these companies had gotten used to an overabundance of cheap labor and now apparently think it's their God-given right. Also important to note that these rising wages don't appear to be slowing job growth in restaurants and bars, which has been by far the strongest of any sector, contributing three out of four jobs added in the past two months. To speak to the conditions of the food and restaurant industry and provide some answers as to why some employers are struggling to find workers, I spoke with two workers who recently decided to leave this industry. Here's Monica, a former server at a restaurant in Atlanta.
2: My unemployment took so long to go through. When I applied myself, I ended up having to go back to work after going through my savings um, and my tax refund and all that. And, um, you know, working in like the busiest park in the middle of Atlanta um, and people just being drunk and um, completely unmasked, shouting in your face, um, you know, eating inside when you're supposed to eat outside, no social distancing, all those things in a really hot area, and I have asthma. And so it's, like, hard to keep the mask on because it's hard to breathe in the hot area, but also people are um, just, you know, throwing out caution to the wind.
1: She also went on to mention that she routinely experienced sexual harassment from customers on a near-daily basis. What restaurant workers have to work through goes way beyond just serving food. You know,
2: on top of the lack of PPE, uh, hazard pay, things like that. Um, there was also people getting robbed and stabbed. Um, with in, outside of my job, while we we're closing up, me um, bleaching, having the bleach uh, blood off the vinyl walls from someone getting jumped in the bathroom, and I was getting paid ten dollars an hour. So um, you know, it, it's very you know alienating, and I kind of had to step or kind of distract myself from what was going on every night.
1: I mean, just, it was hard to find the words to respond to that when I spoke with her. Again, that was Monica, a former server at a restaurant in Atlanta. I also spoke with Anthony, a decades-long server in the fine restaurant industry. Here he is speaking on his experience working at a restaurant in Chicago.
0: I kid you not, Mrs. Cruz. We had a guy that lived there, you know, 10 years younger than me. This guy is living below the building in subterranean parking in his car while working at Smith and Walensky's, you know, bringing people $30 glasses of wine and stuff like this. Like, here, this is the hypocrisy of the nation that we're living in right here.
1: He described the increased risk that workers face in this industry during the pandemic.
0: You know, before that, like the industry, wasn't very clean. Like, yeah, there's rules and regulations and stuff. You think anyone's enforcing these things? Like we live in a generally like very dirty, like industry, at least in terms of pathogens. Right. You know, so like COVID coming along there and you're already giving up so much of like, like your labor capital for free in in the hospitality environment. Now you've changed the rules of engagement. Like I was already exposed to more pathogens anyway, just people masticating, you know, and throwing everything everywhere in, in their dishes. Now you're telling me we have like a a novel virus and within months you're telling us all to go back to work (laughs) and it's going to be fine.
1: Again, that was Anthony, a decades long worker in the restaurant industry. He also talked about the lengths he went to to escape this working nightmare.
0: I wasn't going to quit. I did the job that I had to do. I went back and forth with their HR team for months to do. And they did, were doing anything they could not to fire me. On top of the fact that I was already like one of the fastest rising people ever to go up that seniority ladder. I'm like, you guys are not listening to me, dude. Like, this is my health. We're not doing this. So I made him fire me.
1: That was Anthony, a decades long worker in the fine restaurant industry. Clearly, it's hard to overstate the fear that many workers in the food and restaurant industry had to work through during the last year. And now, the hesitancy that many of them have towards going back to this industry after working through these horrible conditions. Here's Monica again, speaking on her experiences living on unemployment since being laid off from her server job at a restaurant in Atlanta. You
2: know, it's very difficult. And uh, now that there's been, a um, couple of rounds of legislation that have provided, you know, extra unemployment money, things like that. I've been able to uh, mostly just have income by doing community work, um, but I am uh, kind of getting to that uncomfortable position again in which I don't have any money because they've unceremoniously cut off the 300 a week. Um, and uh, there just isn't um, a lot of options, but I do feel much more empowered to, you know, say I have this experience. Um, You know, I'm not um, looking for just any job.
1: Again, that was Monica, a former server at an Atlanta restaurant. Now, Georgia is one of the 25 states ending its participation in the federal unemployment program. These efforts have been spearheaded by Republican elected officials, citing the right wing talking point that unemployment benefits are discouraging folks from going back to work. And frankly, this myth needs to be busted immediately. To start, a major issue of workers not coming back to work has been the lack of affordable childcare and closed or unsafe schools. Many workers have been staying home with their kids. Secondly, low wage industries have seen more job growth than industries with higher wages in recent months. Logically, the opposite would be true if unemployment benefits were making people too lazy to go back to work for low-paying jobs. The number of people receiving unemployment benefits has actually continued to decline. Furthermore, a Yale University report from July 2020 found there was no correlation between workers returning to their jobs and the expanded unemployment benefits. Similar evidence was found to dismiss this lie when it last surfaced after the Great Recession. To speak more on the issue of unemployment benefits and workforce participation and this obnoxious, frankly, right-wing talking point, I spoke with Cooper Carraway, president of the South Dakota Federation of Labor, AFL-CIO.
3: Listen, there, there, there's kind of two, uh, two sets of, of principles here. Number one, it's really wild uh, that... Uh, the economic system and the folks who are in charge of the economic system are, are, are complaining about a labor shortage and acting like they're surprised uh, about a labor shortage a year after 600,000 mostly workers died in a pandemic. Uh, I don't know what they thought 2021 was going to be like after half a million workers die, uh, but, um, but obviously there's going to be uh, some different staffing levels uh, when uh, through your negligence and greed you allow 600,000 people to die. Um, but aside from that as far as uh, you know our, our relatives you know that are still here i think that uh, uh, it looks to me uh, like workers all over the country are engaged in protected concerted activity um, they're they're choosing to withhold their labor from uh, places that want to put their health at risk uh, they want them to risk the health and safety of them and their family for wages that they can't even feed their family on
1: He went on to describe how the pandemic has helped expand workers' consciousness and militancy.
3: I think the last year uh, with the pandemic and and everything else really laid bare uh, the system and its priorities. Um, you know, it's like that old, uh, that old labor saying. The old labor saying is the best unioni- unionizer is a bad boss because a union organizer can be as good as, as, as they want to be. Uh, but a bad boss leads to more unions than anything else. And I think workers all over this country are seeing the United States government. They're seeing its economic system as not only a bad boss, but one of the worst bosses around uh, in the whole world. Um, and now they're uh, they're taking concerted action against it. And I think you'll see a rise uh, in that sort of a mentality and that sort of militancy. Uh, Again, that was Cooper Carraway,
1: president of the South Dakota Federation of Labor, AFL-CIO. Now, I think it's also critical to mention how workers are quitting their jobs in historic numbers and demanding more money to take on new jobs. According to a survey by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, the minimum compensation that workers would require to accept a job offer was 19% higher for those without a college degree in March 2021 than in November 2019, an increase of nearly $10,000 a year. This should not be a shocker considering how the cost of living has steadily risen in recent decades as the minimum wage has stagnated since the 1970s. This isn't greed on the part of workers. This is about recognizing the dignity of their work. And more evidence is showing that workers in large numbers are reconsidering how much they feel their labor is worth and also the type of work they want to be doing. A Pew Research Center survey released in February found that 66% of unemployed Americans had quote-unquote seriously considered changing their field of work. A third say they have already taken steps to expand their skill sets by pursuing job retraining programs or educational opportunities. Others surveyed said they want a job that is more stable and less likely to leave them more exposed to the coronavirus or any other potentially fatal future virus. So to really tie this all together, let's look back at employers. They must grapple, for the first time in a long time, with a working class that is demanding more money and better conditions. And with a wave of pandemic-induced strikes and unionization efforts that has shown no sign of slowing down, American workers might very well be in a position to make serious gains in the period ahead. I asked Cooper Carraway, president of the South Dakota Federation of Labor, AFL-CIO, his thoughts on this point.
3: I think that it's not necessarily that the workers are gaining more leverage, but it's uh, the workers are recognizing the leverage they already have. Um, and, and choosing to exercise it. Um, you know, workers the uh, work and, and the working class in general has always had all the leverage, the whole thing, uh, because it's the working class that makes the whole world run. Uh, but it's, uh, uh, and so they've always had all the leverage. But I think, you know, seeing uh, the folks in charge uh, uh, scrambling to handle even the smallest issues, tripping over themselves to make sense of the simplest things. And I think more and more working people are seeing that in common competency in uh, that clownish behavior uh, by the folks who are running the political system and the economic system. And they're understanding that, that, look, it looks like I have leverage, so might as well uh, use it, work together to use it. And I think uh, moving forward, you'll see uh, an increase uh, every, every few months. Uh, I, think, I don't even think it's a yearly thing. I think every few months you'll see an increase in organizing, you'll see an increase in militancy, you'll see an increase in, 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 in cr- these courageous activities by these workers.
1: And that's it for this week's episode of On the Picket Line. If you're not already, make sure you're following Breakthrough News at BT Newsroom on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us by searching Breakthrough News anywhere else.